This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Uh, I'm uh, delighted and honored to give this opening a talk about Paul Crutzen. I've had the privilege, the pleasure, and the honor of working with Paul since the late 1970s for nearly 40 years. And uh, it was a great loss for me uh, when Paul, Paul passed away. So I'm giving this talk with some mixed emotions. This is a picture we took from the cockpit of C-130. It's a huge transport aircraft. Flying, we were flying over the Indian Ocean, looking at air pollution from South Asia. Paul is clearly one of the most creative, innovative, and original geoscientists of his generation. He has generated a number of novel ideas. He has pioneered or co-pioneered some seminal ideas of how we human beings or interacting with the environment and impacting it, mostly in negative ways. First, he was one of the first to suggest that the stratospheric ozone is maintained by catalytic destruction of ozone by many reactive species. And without that, the ozone simulated by models were too much compared to the observed ozone distribution. So it was a major breakthrough. Then he moved on. And amongst uh, uh, other suggestions, uh, with si other scientists independently, Paul came to the conclusion that ozone was being produced in the troposphere by pollutants through photochemical processes. The third was a genius stroke. He said nitrous oxide, which is produced mi by microbes in the soil, were transported all the way up to the stratosphere and uh, impacting ozone chemistry, thus linking what's happening on the surface with the upper atmosphere. Later it came to be called biogeochemical cycles. His other major set suggestion, which just came sheerly out of the blue, was global nuclear conflagration from nuclear war would burn enough material to blanket the earth with a thick layer of soot, which would essentially cut off sunlight and creating darkness and also cool the planet and uh, suggested as a major catastrophe. Then Paul and I co-discovered this atmospheric brown clouds, which is vast layers of pollution. I'll talk to you about that. Of course, we're all here because of his suggestion of Anthropocene. I'm going to talk about that. And last, uh, he became somewhat uh, a little bit controversial for this, that he was not very hopeful we human beings would stop the climate change and global warming in time and he renewed the idea that human beings may have to engineer the climate to slow down warming. So let me talk about this atmospheric brown clouds. 
this was a, an experiment Paul and I planned where we would look at how air pollution from South Asia would get transported to the Indian Ocean and impact the chemistry and climate. Basically, during the winter time and the early spring, the subcontinent, because of the Himalayan uh, mountains, would be cold, that air would sink and trap the pollutants, and the trapped pollutants would, trans would tra transport from northwest to southeast. So we wanted to just put two few instruments on a small boat and go across the Indian Ocean, south of the so-called intertropical convergence zone, pristine air would come in the north, the polluted air, we wanted to compare the two. Eventually, it grew to a major massive experiment with five aircraft two ships and a dedicated satellite. What we discovered to our horror was this massive layer of river of pollution, brown clouds. This was just basically produced by cooking with biomass uh, emission from uh, you know, uh, cars, transport. So what we thought as a local pollution became a global problem. We later, uh, NASA discovered similar brown clouds all over the world. So what they did, the air pollution particulates from this uh, brown clouds, caused 7 million deaths per year worldwide. And it would also reduce the sunlight coming, going into the ocean on the land surface by anywhere from 5 to 10%, which can became called global dimming. And the reduction in sunlight cut down the evaporation, so the rainfall would decrease drought. And then the soot particles in the brown clouds would get transported to the Himalayan region and other glaciers and the Arctic sea ice and would melt them. So it became a major catastrophic event happening. This whole experiment was done between 1998 to 2001. It's in the middle of this. Paul came up with this idea of the Anthropocene in the year 2000, and he published a paper in Nature in 2002. And, and, and basically, I'll tell you what, what he suggested, but read that uh, abstract uh, I copied there. It basically says the Anthropocene could be said to have started in the late 18th century. And he gives as example the increase in the greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, and methane. So climate change was very much in his mind. So this was the original paper in 2000, that human beings have become a geologic force transforming the entire uh, planet. And in my view, climate change is an icon for the planetary scale impact. Let me just... Uh, brief you on that part. To understand climate change, I want to put it in a larger context. Astronomers call the Earth is in a Goldilocks zone, just at the right perfect temperature, so that water could exist as uh, liquid, solid, and a vapor. And what astronomers said is that they were the perfect distance from the sun in the so-called habitable zone 
So Earth could get neither hot nor cold. So let me give you an example of how delicate that balance is. Earth is about 93 million miles away from the sun. If had it been 2 million miles closer at 91 million miles, it would have been too hot. If it had been 2 million miles away at 95 million miles, it would have been ice covered. So that's how delicately balanced the planet's climate is. So let's see what we are doing to this and let's try to get into Paul's mind and think about the Anthropocene. So this just shows you evolution of human beings. So about 160,000 years ago to about 10,000 years ago, they were basically hunter-gatherers. The Earth was in an ice age at 20,000 years ago and got out of it into what we call Holocene about 11,500 years ago. Holocene is probably the warmest climate we have experienced in the last 50 to 60,000 years. So that brought predictable climate so farmers could expect when the rain will come and plant their seeds and led to agriculture revolution during the Holocene period, then about 1800 AD, the industrial revolution started, right? The, uh, the invention of the steam engine and the use of coal. And Paul said that's what ushered in the Anthropocene, industrial revolution. We are still arguing about when exactly the Anthropocene started. We are not, we are not doubting the fact that human beings have become a, a geologic force. There is a group led by uh, Professor Will Steffen, who said Anthropocene started around 1950, right after World War II, when there was an acceleration of consumption of natural resources. So he showed population, our energy use, water use, etc. And you see that inflection point in 1950 when things took off. So for him, that great acceleration of consumption of resources happened around 1950. So he puts the period of the Anthropocene post-1950 and look at the carbon dioxide concentration. It started increasing around 1800 itself. Now that's what motivated Paul to put 1800 as the date of the Anthropocene. And right now, the carbon dioxide concentration has far, gone far beyond. It's around 420 parts per million. So how much CO2 is really in the air? You see, since about 1750, we have dumped about 2.2 trillion tons of carbon dioxide. Imagine that. About half of that, close to 1 trillion tons, is still up there and that thin shell of what we call atmosphere. That's a trillion ton blanket covering every part of the planet, trapping the infrared heat from the earth and the atmosphere and warming the planet, okay? It's just not CO2. There are many other greenhouse gases we are dumping, chlorofluorocarbons, etc. Is the planet responding to this? So this is the temperature record starting from the 
shown for the last 2000 years, extending up to now 2020, this was a report released by the United Nations, the planet crossed a degree warming around 2015. And that's unprecedented warming, that one degree for the last 2000 years. In fact, if you look at a century scale period, the warming we have seen in the last century is more than anything we have seen in the last 100,000 years. And we know now that that warming is caused by human activities. So that's to me is the convincing evidence that we have become a geologic force. Unfortunately, in the last five years, meteorologists have uh, demonstrated that that warming, the change in the mean climate, has led to numerous weather extremes, extreme heat, extreme rainfall, extreme drought, fires, and the ocean warming to unprecedented levels, and also the ocean getting acidified from the absorption of CO2. My own prediction with two of my colleagues is that this was done three years ago. We are saying by 2030, we predicted the planet would cross the one and a half degree threshold. That would make it hotter than anything we have experienced in the last few hundred thousand years, if not few million years. When that happens, I'm reasonably convinced that climate change will transition to climate disruption worldwide. All of us, 8 billion people would feel it, okay? So if you think in terms of the Goldilocks zone, the planet being at the right temperature, this is a 5% probability prediction of a model developed by Princeton University and NOAA it shows what will happen beyond 2050 if we don't stop this inadvertent and dangerous experiment of emitting, consuming fossil fuels and dumping CO2 in the air. The entire Southwest, you can see, all the way through Mexico, the entire Amazon, the entire Southern Europe, the Mediterranean region, Sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Australia, China, would be in extreme drought. So basically the Goldilocks zone would be shrinking. Okay. Having given this alarming, alarming forecast, let me talk about how, how are we going to get out of this dangerous anthropocene. So first is we need to understand the interaction between human beings and uh, uh, the natural system. See, so far our climate models did not even have human influence. There was no way they could model that interaction. That ground is broken by many groups. And I want to just briefly mention a study we published just about a couple of months ago. On the left-hand side, you see the SSM is a social system model. On the right-hand side is a natural system model. And what we learned, the model is such that all you have to feed it is the global GDP. It simulates everything. Temperature, CO2, how much renewables, how much uh, fossil fuels, etc., etc. 
What we found is that there is a 50-year lag, inertia, between the time scientists warned the society and ultimately the warming curve is bending. That 50-year lag is the response time it takes for society to respond to science, the time it takes the policymakers to respond to societal concern, the time it takes for technology to be developed, and then that technology be diffused, adding on to the time constant of the ocean atmosphere system. It takes decades. So what we conclude is that solving the climate change problem would depend on we shrinking that response time from 50 years to about 20 years. Fortunately, there is still time to do that, okay? So I want to conclude with the Anthropocene. If climate change was the only thing that is symbolic of Anthropocene, probably it would be an easier problem. The fundamental issue is that climate change crisis is embedded with multiple environmental crises. So this is part of a major study I was involved in. The inner circle is the habitable zone. The yellow is when we went, we left the habitable zone. And then the outer circle is we are in the pure no man's territory, okay, the red zone. So in terms of biodiversity, species destruction, converting the planet working land into monoculture, we are already in the red zone. And in the natural cycles of nitrogen and phosphorus, major nutrient for species and us, again, we have perturbed that cycle all the way to the red zone. I don't have time to go into all the differences. So we have to think about the climate crisis in the context of other destruction of natural resources. So the climate is still in the yellow zone. But remember, I told you they're going to reach one and a half degrees in eight years. That's 2030. Once you pass the two degrees, we all know we're going into unstable regime with multiple tipping points. We could even lose control. But I'm optimistic that we will transition to a habitable Anthropocene by about 2030 to 40, somewhere during that. And we would have figured out to limit the warming to two degrees, not by geoengineering, but by transitioning to cleaner fuels, solar, wind, etc., etc. But that will require fundamental change in societal attitude towards nature. We would have provided clean energy access for all, including the poorest 3 billion. And hopefully the society and the ecosystem would become resilient to such shocks. I think that's the world Paul was dreaming about when he coined the phrase Anthropocene. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.